I'm reading from Mark 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make, these, uh, make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you alone are holy, and we thank you so much that you are in our presence. We ask that you be with us and that you be pleased with what you hear. And we ask that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to speak through Mike. Let us listen just like, like you instructed those three on the mountain. Let us listen to what you have to say. It is in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 24. Take, take some notes if you don't mind. Exodus chapter 24. If you, if you read the Mark chapter 9 text, this ought to come to mind. So I, wanna, I want you to read the Mark chapter 9 text, but I also want you to go back sometime either this afternoon or sometime this week and at least reflect on what it says here in Exodus chapter Exodus, right? Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Old Testament, right? What are we doing in the Old Testament? I thought we were looking at Mark chapter 9. I want to show you something. Then Moses and Aaron, Aaron being Moses' brother, right? Nadab and Abihu, a couple of the elders of the church, or the Levites. And 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Four individuals get to go up on this mountain and look at God. And they ate and they drank. There's some kind of relational thing going on there. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments, which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, wait here for us, we'll come back to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur with you, whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So you guys hang out here, we're going to go meet with God, we'll come back. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain cloud covered the mountain. The presence of God covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. That's significant. For six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Mo who he being God, called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Let me read that again. Now the appearance of the glory of 
of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. You think they're amazed? You think Moses recognizes what's going on? When you're actually meeting with God? Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and for 40 nights. Go to 34 now. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. That's the Shekinah glory. Maybe you've heard that term before, that phrase before. Shekinah glory. There's something that's happened to Moses. His face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, or and look, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them that all the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. They can't handle it anymore. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. When he came out, he told the people of Israel what was commanded. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. You think they were amazed? This Shekinah glory, right? Moses has been in the very presence of God. Moses has been in the very presence. What does this have to do with Mark chapter 9? Let me show you just a couple of similar things. In Mark chapter 9, verse 2, if you have it before you, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 1 and verse 9, Moses takes Nadab, Abihu, and his brother up on the mountain. Three people. In Mark chapter 2, verses, or I'm sorry, chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, Jesus is, as the text says, He's transfigured. He's transformed. The word there is metamorpho. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans in chapter 12. Transformed. He's transformed. He's transfigured. There's white clothes. And Mark would go on to say, even whiter than anybody can bleach. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, as we just read, Moses, after meeting with God, his skin shines and it's recognized that he's been in the presence of God. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, it says that a voice speaks from the cloud and says, this is my son, listen to what he has to say. In Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, God speaks from the cloud and he speaks to Moses. Do you understand what's going on here? There's a lot of similarities, are not? I wonder if they were amazed, if the people of God, if the Israelites were amazed that not only did God speak to Moses, but as Moses came down and said, obviously he has authority, right? His face is shining because he's been in the presence of God. And he says, this is what God said. I think I would probably pay attention, and I hope you would pay attention as well. Notice there in Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, beginning in verse 1, he, she didn't read this for us, but I'll read it for us. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus himself has been telling them what's going to happen. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to do things that they're not really comfortable with. In fact, he's going to go even to this place called Golgotha. He's going to go through some suffering. And they believe the Messiah should never suffer. They believe the Messiah was a character who would be victorious, who would overthrow the Romans. And everything that Jesus has said 
just kind of rubs them the wrong way, if you will. So Jesus says here in Mark chapter 9, He says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it's come with power. Now many of us think, and many of the people in the ancient Near East, to include Thessalonica, if you think about 2 Thessalonians here, they thought that Jesus Christ would return, right? The, Perus, they, the second coming happens before their lifetime was over. But that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is going to do this very thing right here, right now. He's going to show them who He really is. They've seen the healings. They've seen Him feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and they still don't get it. If you don't believe me, look back at chapter 8. We just talked about it. Jesus says, do you still not believe? You still don't get who I am? So I'm going to show you a sign. But this time, I'm going to take Peter and James and John. And it says in verse 2, after six days. Does that sound familiar? We just read about it in Exodus chapter 24. After six days, he took with him these three individuals and led them up by the, on the mountain by themselves, and he was transformed before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, Mark would say, as no one and there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. Elijah with Moses? What's going on? They were talking with Jesus. They were communing with Jesus. We'll come back to that here in a second. And Peter said to Jesus, Peter, right? The one who always is at the forefront of everything said, be it positive or negative, but Peter has something to say. and He recognizes something. He's amazed, I should say. Good teacher, rabbi. It's good that we are here. Let us make three shelters. Let us make three booths. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Remember when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Some of you remember the Matthew text because we looked at it here uh, Wednesday night a couple times a couple weeks ago. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is having this conversation with his apostles, and he says, "Who do men say that I am?" Right? We talked about this at Town Creek this past week a little bit, and they say, "Well, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead." Right? That's why Pharaoh's deathly afraid of you. John the Baptist, of course, has been beheaded by this time; he's gone. But Pharaoh thinks that his guilt has made him believe that it's John the Baptist risen to new life. Some say you're a prophet, uh, that you, you teach with authority, and so maybe you're Jeremiah, or maybe you're Isaiah. Or... You remember that text? And the Jesus says, but, but what about you? Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter, the leader of the bunch, right, says, well, you are the Christ. You, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the one sent from God. And Jesus answers this way, and he says, blessed are you, Simon, Son of John, your natural eyes haven't shown you this. You, you've been shown this. You, it's been revealed to you by God and God alone. Paraphrase, that's what it says. And notice right here, church, notice what it says. Peter said to him, Rabbi, it's good for us that we're here. He recognizes Moses. Moses has been dead and gone for a long time. Elijah's been gone for a long time, right? So what gives Peter the ability to see Moses and Elijah. It's God's revelation, for he did not know what to say. I love what Mark, Mark has a parenthetical note here in verse 6. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. They were amazed. They were amazed. And a cloud, remember what the cloud represented in Exodus? A cloud overshadowed them. This is a, this is a presence of God, and the voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Does that sound familiar? If you've looked at Mark, where does that come from? The baptism of Jesus, right? Jesus comes up. Remember, he goes to John the Baptist. He's in the Jordan. 
John the Baptist freaks out because this is Jesus. He knows this is not just his cousin. This is the Messiah. And John the Baptist said, I can't baptize you. I'm not even worthy to tie or untie your sandals. And Jesus says, let it be so now to fulfill all righteousness. And so John relents and he's baptizing Jesus. And as soon as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Bible says that a spirit descends and a voice comes from the heavens and it says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Confirmation of what's going on here, right? Jesus is not just a itinerant preacher. He's not just a good rabbi. We've been talking about authority. We've been talking about who Jesus really is. This is God with us, Hal. This is God in the flesh. I mentioned to you, going back to what happens here with Elijah and Moses. Why, why Elijah? Well, Elijah represented the prophets. Elijah, we'll, we'll come back to this here in a second when we talk about the prophets, but Elijah represented the prophets, and the prophets were mouthpieces of God. They were mediators between God and people, people and God. Moses represents the law, right? We just talked about Moses in Exodus chapter 24 and chapter 34. So there's something going on here between Moses, who represents the law, Torah, for a Jew, Elijah, who represents the prophets, and Jesus, who fulfills everything. Hold on to that thought for just a second. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anything, anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen. Does that sound familiar? If you've been with us the last couple of months, you know that Many times after Jesus does a miracle, He says, don't tell anyone. And they can't keep their mouth shut. In a somewhat similar way, Jesus says, don't, don't say anything at least until the Son of Man, that's the phrase that comes from Daniel, the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Don't say anything. Don't, don't witness to anybody else except what you've just seen is your, it's a gift for you. It's been revealed to you for a particular reason, but don't say anything yet. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They still don't get it. Remember the bread text that we looked at last week? They still don't get it. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first. If you know your scriptures, you know that's John the Baptist. To restore all things and how it's written to the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with the contempt. Now that's the issue. That's the issue. In their minds, the Messiah would never, ever, ever suffer. And it says here, the Son of Man should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. He says, but Elijah has come. He's John the Baptist, if you haven't figured it out. And they did to him whatever they pleased. Remember, they cut the head off of John the Baptist as it is written of him. Imagine their amazement as they see Jesus transfigured and He is speaking, He's relational with the one who represents the law, the one who represents the prophets. What's going on? Hold your thumb there for just a second. I think I've got it here on the screen for you. In Revelation. Look at what it says. Some of you are studying Revelation now. I know on Thursdays or maybe even over here on a Sunday morning. You'll appreciate this. Revelation chapter 5, 11 and 12. I looked and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. You all know that, right? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It sounds like to me they're worshiping. But I thought you only worship God. Well, you do. Jesus is God. Keep going. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory 
and might forever and ever. Amen? And the four living creatures said, Praise God, so be it. And the elders fell down prostrate. Fell down in worship. They recognized who Jesus is. You hear what's going on? It's not that Moses is anybody special other than he's a representative of the law. It's not that Elijah is anybody special other than he is a representative of the prophets. But everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything, everything, everything points to Jesus Christ. Exodus 24, Exodus 34, Mark chapter 9, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7. I could go on and on. You get the idea? You may think that I'm proof texting, but I'm really not. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. If you have your phone or write this down, look at it later, turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. Just four verses here. Four verses. The writer says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, etc., etc. He spoke to us by the prophets. Elijah. But in these last days, He's spoken to us, how? By His Son. By Jesus Christ Himself. By the one that the author of Hebrews would go on to say, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Do you hear this? Do you understand it? This Son, God appointed, it says, the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. What? How is this possible? Well, before Jesus came to Joseph and Mary, the pre-incarnate Jesus is God. God creates through Jesus. He created the world through this Son of God. Verse 3 says, He's the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of His nature. And this Son upholds the universe by the Word, the Logos. Does that ring a bell for anybody? By the Word of His power. And after making purification for sins, how do you make purification for sins? Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The writer of Hebrews would go on to say, Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Jesus is greater than David. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than everything. Everything is held together. Created for, held together, and will be restored in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Does this relate? Is it relevant for anybody here? The old hymn that you know, and we'll close with this, Colossians chapter 1. Paul. We'll look at that. I'm not proof texting. I'm really not. Look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. He, verse 15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, so thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through, through Him and for Him. He's before all things. He's before all things. And in, all, in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. He might be the ultimate. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, how so, Paul, by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated 
and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, church. He's now reconciled. He's now restored. He's reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. The perfect sacrifice. So that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith. Amazing? Oh, come on. This is amazing. Amazing grace. The next time you sing Amazing Grace, I pray that you sing it with gusto. That you sing it with some kind of passion. Because if not, you don't understand what Jesus has done for us. You don't understand the goodness of God. Church, this is the Gospel. That, that God valued us enough, Philip. That God should have destroyed me a long time ago. And He should have destroyed you a long time ago. But He didn't. He loves us so much. In fact, He loves the entire world that whoever believes in Jesus, and not just believes about Jesus, but believes in the righteousness of Jesus, God in the flesh, the One who hung on the cross for us, the One who allows us to be restored to God. Amazing. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I think John Newton was onto something. And this guy owned slaves and he realized how much God loved him. And he realized, I think to a certain limitation, but he realized how much God loved the world. My challenge to you this morning, church, is not to just read words on a page and go, man, that's cool. He, he touched the leper and everything's all right. Or, or he healed a, a, a lame person. Or, he, okay, he was transfigured before Peter, James, and John. I don't, I don't even know. The greater miracle of all is your salvation. And if you haven't received salvation, the greater miracle of all these things is your ability to be restored in relationship to God. The greatest miracle of all is to pray and know that God's not too busy to answer your prayers. Let's not be conditioned. Let's not be calloused like just typical church people. Amazed. 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 God loves you so much. God loves you so much. God lo you are not worthy. And yet, God loves you so much that He gave. Let's pray. Father, for Your Word, for the goodness of who You are, for the Gospel, no, we are not on our own. We are not worthy of, of who You are, of what You've done, of what You're doing now that we can't see, and even what You promise in the future. But God, we believe. We believe because of faith. We don't have to have sign after sign after sign after sign. And every time we ask for a sign, God, forgive us. Because we have plenty of signs that You love us. And not only love us, but that You are willing to die for us. And forgive us, God, when we become conditioned to just going through the motions. Forgive us when we become very pharisaical and very religious. But that's as far as it goes. There's someone here today, Father, that has not received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord of their life. I pray that today is the day. For those of us who have received Jesus Christ and have lost our first love, for those of us who are lukewarm, as the text says, God, forgive us. Make us passionate about what You're passionate about. Hold our feet to the fire. Hold us accountable. And make us accountable to one another. 
Help us to be your church. Help us to be the called out ones, God. And as we live our lives, may we be responsible. May we understand our obligation as not only fans of Jesus, but followers of Jesus. This I pray in the name of Jesus, the author, the perfecter, our righteousness. Amen.